You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. folks welcome to a brand new episode of history we forgot i'm one of your two co-hosts morrison with christy phillips that's right we're back again with another good episode for you today we're going to be talking about world war one i uh, got brought up in the discord uh, a little bit uh and war one is kind of like uh the korean war he doesn't get as much playthrough as it does when I remember in history class, I remember it just, it's a very blasé thing that leads to World War II, which is the big one. Yes. You know, but for people back in the day, you know, World War One was just the Great War. Mm-hmm. I love the classic joke. Why did they call it World War One if they knew there was going to be a two? And it's just like, you prick. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But, um, no, so we're actually kind of get the, the, the layout of World War One is almost the same. Uh, you know, you have the United States coming in, like you know, tail end. You got Britain, France. Uh, you have a Allied group uh, coming together to fight um, the Germans, Austrian, Hungarians, uh, quite a few other other people going into it. Um, Russia uh, absent uh, yes. quite a bit in this. They were having their own little issues going on with killing their kings and queens and such. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were on the they were kind of on their heels a little bit which you know kept a lot of the fighting on the western front um you know one of the most famous books about this is all quiet on the western front which is the tragic fucking story of uh german soldiers you know fighting for their lives um and it's a very good anti-war movie Mm -hmm. uh but it is it was banned in germany for a long time uh, Mm -hmm. because it uh, painted germany in a very bad light which I can only understand that. Yeah. Uh, they were burning books much later on. Uh, not to steer us off far, but have you seen the series that's come out of it? The recently? All Quiet on the Western Front yeah. movie? Yeah. It takes some liberties. Um, I'm not a fan of that one. Um, just because there's the original and then there's the old black and white. Mm-hmm. Uh, the old black and white was very well done. Uh, it's very close to the book. Mm-hmm. Um, the one with uh, John Boy from the Waltons, um, he's uh, he's in it. Yeah, he plays the uh, German officer, and they they do a little bit closer thing. But what I hate is they skip over the very important anti-war stuff. Yeah, um, there's some anti-war stuff that is kind of subtle. Uh, one example is in the newest uh, Netflix special. There is a scene where uh, he's really gung ho mm-hmm. about joining, which obviously. You know, he's a young man who's ignorant as fuck. But uh, he gets his uniform, and on the back of the uniform is a tag. He reads the tag, and it's got someone else's name on it. And he's like, hey, there's a mistake. This is some other soldier's, you know, tag. He's like, oh, no, my total, it's fine. We can fix that. And he rips the tag off and drops it below his feet and hands him the uniform. He's like, thank you, blah, blah, blah. And then it pans the camera to the bottom of the, sol- uh, the clerk's feet, and there's a pile of fucking tags because they're reusing uniforms. Yeah. Uh, And you got to keep in mind, these are not the main contenders. This is Germany answering a call from their Austrian-Hungarian neighbors. Mm -hmm. You know, this, in all intents and purposes, this is a domino effect of 
basically like picking a fucking dodgeball game mm-hmm. you know oh i don't want germany on my side i want austria hungary i want the ottomans you know and it's just like oh, that means i got france God, but yeah, before France became a fucking joke, France was a very hardcore military. Yeah, uh, these are guys that you know lived off the legacy of the Napoleonic Wars, which took over Europe. You know, these are the people, the French Foreign Legion. These are the same people that are very prideful of their country. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Spain, Norway, and a handful of other ones kind of you know scaled back, but some of your old school. Uh, European countries, especially your uh, not just French, but the, you know the United Kingdom itself. Italy is a little sketch uh, mm-hmm. with their history of World War One. They uh, like World War Two, uh, up and quit and change sides very quickly. Yeah, uh, but this this one, as as much as it scale like in Europe, there is a lot of stuff that gets left out, mm-hmm. especially your uh, Middle Eastern. Uh, fighters uh, who came and fought on behalf of like Algeria, Libya, what was Libya at the time. Um, and this is before Saudi Arabia. This is before the lines in the sand are drawn. Yes. This is still the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. You know, this is what's left of the old school, you know, Ottoman Empire. And people forget, like, that's stretched from Turkey, Iran, Iraq, Yemen, the United you know, Emirates, all the way to the. Uh, all the way to uh, the Lebanon, um, Palestine, before Israel. You know, this this was the Middle East Empire. Yeah. Um, and it stretched just enough far east mm-hmm. to cause an issue later on uh, during the redraw of the lines by the French and the British. Yeah. What did you uh, – do you remember what – when you first started learning about World War One? I? I remember when – it's it's hard to remember that far back as far as when teachers would focus on it, but like what you talked about at the beginning, it was never a big as big of a deal as World War Two. It never is. It it was always you get the the cliff notes. Yeah. And it was always because of World War One, this, 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 yeah. and this happened. It was never a big part of history it was always just a cause and effect kind of thing yeah so just to kind of give you kind of a landscape mark um why certain countries aren't involved immediately Mm -hmm. all right so before we get into the cause like the 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 shot heard around the world uh there is something that is popping up history wise across you know the map of the world you know uh for one fact one reason Russia and Japan and China and all these other nations didn't quite get involved in World War One, one Russia was involved in a civil war after World War One started. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bolsheviks took over. Uh, the communists were on the rise, um, and Russia up until that time was an aristocracy. Yeah. Uh, a great example, a great story of this is uh, you know the story of Anastasia, mm-hmm. uh, the fictional tale that she survived, but no, most likely she was shot dead with her sisters and mother buried in a shallow hole. Yeah. Um, but another part of this is Russia coming off a war, going into World War One. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you know anything about the uh, Sino-Japanese uh, War or the uh, uh, Russo-Japanese War? Not much. Okay, so J- Japan, after the American Civil War, mm-hmm. uh, after the American Civil War, it was kind of seen that all right, war can be fought a different way. 
mm. because guns are the great equalizer now. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Japan wanted to restructure their empire into something that wasn't the samurai or the shogun or something like that, but into a in, an industrial empire. Okay. Half of that is an industry, uh, much like the United States. We're an industry-driven country. But we also have weapons. Mm-hmm. That is the big thing. And weapon development between 1865 to 1900 is at its most prevalent. You know, we are switched away from, you know, single-shot rifles. Yeah. We're going to, we're go- and we're switched away from single-shot breech-load rifles. Yeah. We're going to lever actions, Gatling guns. The mm-hmm. Germans invented the Maxim machine gun. The fact that one man can be an army. Yeah, you know, one man could be one platoon yeah. uh, with a machine gun, uh, and then you had the slow advances in cannon fire. You know, the howitzer is redeveloped. You know, eventually the howitzer was about the size of a kind of a fat fat bucket, mm-hmm. and would you know pop off a few round, pop off a round. But now they're we know about range and extension. You know, uh, a great example in World War II is the Gustav gun. You know. Mm-hmm. This is a German engineer at its best when it comes to f- making a giant fucking cannon that shoots yeah. a payload miles away. This is always something that when we talk about it in U.S. history, which is something I do know something about, uh, this is where I always talk about it is the advancement in the weaponry. Yeah, which, so... Which I actually do know something about. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's kind of the first steps of the military-industrial complex. Mm. You know, this is something a necessity needs to be built. Yes. Uh, the United States at this time, though, is full laissez-faire politics. We do not get involved. This is not our fucking problem. It never will be. Europe is what America came from. We do not go back to that house. You know, like, yeah. we, you know, uh, another part of this, though, but going back going back to the uh, Sino-Japanese uh, War and the Russo-70, Russia, as part of an empire, but an aristocracy empire, uh, had picked a fight with Japan. Yeah. Uh, it did not go well with the Russians. Mm. Uh, a good story is this is about a mutiny on a ship, um, and all those soldiers were eventually executed. Um, it's kind of like a mutiny on the bounty, mm-hmm. you know. But you have a large swath of Navy fighters from Russia fighting the Japanese, and it goes very south very quickly. Mm. Um, another another kind of tale is this this. This is you know this is the 1880s. America is supplying military aid to Japan in the 1880s to you know extend re- uh, relations across the water. Yeah. You know, America has a big attachment to Russia or uh, to uh, Europe as a whole. Yeah. But we need to make relations across the other side. Keep in mind, 1880s, you're coming off the Civil War, the expansion of the West, Manifest Destiny. You know. By the time the 1880s come around, we're in the middle of annihilating all the Native Americans. Yes. Okay, and by the time 1900 comes on, the turn of the century, and this is where everything fast-forwards. Mm-hmm. In the 1900s, early 1900s, you have the invention of aircraft. Mm-hmm. You have the invention of the machine gun. You have the invention of uh, the advanced study of vaccines. Yes. Okay, you have new medical uh, ideas being floating around about how diseases, how, how disease works, microbials and stuff like that. We're not quite at the best yet, you know. We didn't quite, you know. 1930s is when it really kicks off because mm-hmm. 1930s is tight for a lot of countries, yeah, because uh, of worldwide depression. But 
you had people coming up with weapons that are so fantastical. You know, chemical weapons. Yeah. One of the, um, one of the uh, most horrific stories is the man who invented ammonia, who, mm. who concentrated ammonia, the man who killed millions to save billions. Yeah. Uh, he held a Nobel Prize, and then he melted it because of what people did with his invention. He mm-hmm. invented something called ammonium nitrate. Uh, ammonium nitrate, for those who don't know, is the best fertilizer. Yeah. It turns dirt into magic fucking dirt. <laughs> yeah, this is true. But it also makes great bombs. A great version of this is Timothy McVeigh in Oklahoma City. Yeah. Just blasting motherfuckers with ammonium nitrate. But, you know, and you also have, you know, the streamlined development of dynamite. Mm-hmm. You know, 20 years before the 1900s, you know, 1800s, we're using dynamite to make the railroad. Yeah. You know, we're using dynamite just for all kinds of willy-nilly bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying, willy-nilly bullshit. Yeah, literally. Um, <laughs> a, fun, a fun part of this is, do you know the story of Alfred Nobel? Vaguely. Alfred Nobel, the man who created, you know, the Peace Prize and named him, created dynamite. I thought so, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> but he also had that Oppenheimer idea of if everyone had dynamite, everyone would be cool with each other. <laughs> no. Because Oppenheimer also said if everyone had nukes, everyone would be cool. Oh. No. Maybe. <laughs> Only seven <laughs> countries have them, really. <laughs> Three of them are lesser. Um, but another kind of rise, you know, politically across the board is I don't want to say junk science. But a new wave of science. Mm. Uh, so, in the early 1900s, you have the Spanish flu. Yes. Spanish flu ravaged the world. Yes. Um, you thought COVID was bad, Spanish flu was worse. Uh, but out of those hardened people mm. came this idea of eugenics. Mm-hmm. And people tied eugenics to nationalism. Yes. Uh, do you ever get a chance to talk about nationalism? When you're teaching, absolutely. How would you how would you best describe political nationalism? Ugh. I have to tread lightly when I talk about nationalism because it's it's one of those things where I describe it as too much of a good thing can be bad. I describe it as you can be proud of where you came from, you can be proud of your country, and that's okay as long as it's America. <laughs> that's how I feel. I say you can be proud of where you came from and you can be proud of your country and you can but the minute you say your country's better that's where you got to stop that's where you got to hit the brakes and stop and think well no well, it's fine if you hate America Christy it's okay we can still do the podcast and I go on record to say I do not hate America I do not hate any country ever oh I can I hate a few <laughs> I can think of a few countries I hate. I don't hate any country. One anything. Well, correction. I hate spiders. However, that's it. She hated the spider nation until the fire nation attacked. (laughs) I hate spiders. I can't help it. Spiders are evil. But be that as it may. To me, you can be proud of where you came from. But when you're an intolerant of somewhere else is where it's bad. And when you use it to look down on other places and other people from another place that's where it's all going south and when i have to explain it to the kids 
the kids can't see that. The kids see it as if you're over proud, if you're proud of where you are, then you're a nationalist. So I have to be like, no, it's okay to be proud of where you're from. It's okay to be like, you know, I'm an American and I'm proud to be an American. And the kids are like, well, what if I wasn't an American to start with? Well, if you're here now, you're an American. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> if, you're, if you're here now, you're an American. But you can be proud to be from where you're from originally. Inside every foreigner, there's an American trying to get out. Well. Say it. This is how it is. I, you know, I wasn't, my, uh, our ancestors weren't originally from America. And then they made the great escape <laughs> and came to this great land and took it. Eh. Just say it. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, the winner is the winner, the loser, the loser. But another part of nationalism is, you know, so you have the political nationalism. Yes. You have this idea of my country's number fucking one every day. Yes. But you also have what's called industrial nationalism. Yes. Uh, this is an issue in Africa right now uh, where assets and commodities being created in a said country aren't going to the people of that country. Uh, another example is uh, U.S. oil production. We allow companies from foreign nations, uh, uh, British Petroleum, BP, Exxon, and Chevron, whatever, they come to our land and get oil. Mm-hmm. At any moment, Congress could nationalize that industry and say all oil piped in in the borders of these United States could only go to the United States. Yeah. That would cause a problem globally. Mm-hmm. But you could also say that with a lot of things made in America. Yeah. You know, f- such as energy production, uh, the way the infrastructure is made here in the United States with the electrical grids. Cars, yeah, yeah, steel. Yeah. So, you know, we kind of, we kind of bartered the system out through uh, taxes, mm-hmm. uh, border taxes, you know, incoming, outcoming taxes and stuff like that. Uh, but the nationalist country, for example, is Germany in World War II. Yes. In all intents and purposes, they adopted nationalism on the industrial level and the political level. And racial level. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I, the problem I have with these countries is because they don't diversify enough. You know, now, now it's kind of, you know, nowadays there are other immigrants from other countries in other countries. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. You know, you, you can't have large populations of Polish people in Germany, or you can have large populations of British people in France, you know. But at the end of the day, it's not going to be as diversified as the more Western countries like Canada or East United States. You know, we have people from all swaths of life here. Um, and I think that kind of makes nationalism here a very unique thing. Mm-hmm. Nationalism isn't about creed and color. It's about being here and being a part of the system, you know, the system that is the United States. And it's very unfair for a lot of people, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. But there's still that idea of, we're still fucking American, you know. Um, but nationalism across the board during World War One was, no, we're French, goddammit. <laughs> we're the best. We're British. We're the best. Ireland, stay with me. Stay with me. We're British. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do I have to throw something at you every time you make an Irish comment? I'm, not, I'm sorry that the British beat them to their fucking knees and fed them potatoes until they died. You know, like, that's not, I, that's not something that I did. Okay? 
And first of all, potatoes aren't even from Ireland. They're from the United States. Um, that's just a fact. They don't grow naturally in fucking Ireland. But another part of Germany's history, though, is her close ties to the Central and Eastern Europeans. Mm. Uh, your Austria-Hungary. Yep. You know, this idea of, you know, we beat the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these people were barbarian savages who took Rome. Yes. Like, you know, that never got taught in history class. We never learned about the fall of Rome in yeah. history class. All we ever learned about is, hey, wait a minute, why is Rome on fire? And then all of a sudden it's like, well, just don't worry about that. Rome's just, Rome's just over. Yeah. It's yeah. like, and but like, why? It's being sacked. That's, yeah. what that, that's what that term means. Who sacked, sacked Rome? It's just, it's, just, it's just over. German forest people <laughs> sacked Rome. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the story. But, like, they build a whole nationalism on that. And that's one of those prideful history things. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like uh, the Chinese. The Chinese, you know, defending themselves from the Mongols, the golden army of the Mongols. Yeah. You know, they kept their kingdoms, you know, safe just enough for the Mongols to die out mm-hmm. or Attila to die out. You know, these, these people made themselves, it's a stupid term, pulled themselves up by the bootstraps, but mm-hmm. that's what they did. And another thing that's kind of happening is the independence of third world nations from empires. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are getting spread thin, especially the British empires. Very, is starting to get spread a little too thin. Uh, especially in South America, uh, the Caribbean, uh, with the French in Southeast Asia, you know they're getting a little sprint. You know, during World War One, Britain and India are having a major fucking issue. Oh yeah, uh, and it spreads over into the Ottoman Empire later on, mm. when you know the Britain have, you know, a lot of rights to the Middle East that they yeah. took, and that's another thing people forget. Like these places had to be taken by these empires. Yeah. Uh, by the time America comes around in the 1900s, we're not really doing much. Uh, yeah, we're just over here being chill. Kinda. Uh, we are dabbling a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, especially you know, we have this we have this cool moment in history where there's three presidents I really like, like just back <laughs> to fucking back, because you have Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> yeah. First of all, fun conspiracy fact: his wife was the first female president. Because he had a stroke in office, and no one saw him for months at a time, and only <laughs> talked to his wife. Think about that for a minute. Imagine if the president of the United States just disappeared, and only we could talk to his wife. <laughs> she was making those decisions that were going into World War One. Imagine the press conferences. Oh, they'd been hilarious. But on the negative side of Woodrow Wilson, he was a Klan member. Okay, so you you got him, but before that you have presidents like Taft and Roosevelt, the OG Roosevelt, mm-hmm. who is probably the scariest fucking president <laughs> in modern history. Teddy. Imagine if George Bush did P ninety X. That's that a, a overconf a very super confident strong man who overcame a lot. You know, please look into Teddy Roosevelt. Man was born a foot in the grave. Yeah, literally. Lost his mother and his daughter in the same fuck or wife in the same fucking day. Mm-hmm. His son dies in World War II. His name Kermit, which I, which I thought was funny. Uh, 
bear bear. I just assumed he was a giant teddy bear. Uh, creates the national park system. You know, does all this stuff. And is really good at killing Central Americans. Uh, was around during the Alamo time. Down in there. Yeah, during the San Juan Hill and all them. Yep. The Rough Riders. Yep. He was a volunteer with the San Juan Hill Rough Riders. And There's if any a- of my kids are listening, they got extra bonus points for the wrong answer on the test, which was the Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rough Riders mount up. Yes. <laughs> R.I.P. to DMX. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, but going into that, you know, we have these bigger than life figures, especially Taft. He's a very large man for his time, yes, or an average person from Texas. Um, <laughs> but you know, he was. This this is the changing of the guard. Mm-hmm. There was this thing called the Gilded Age in the United States, and we destroyed it with these three presidents. That's all it took was these three guys in yep. a row mm-hmm. to destroy. Grover Cleveland's involved. Grover Cleveland's a very weird man. He's on the $1,000 bill. <laughs> no, Not that fact. any of us that have lived in normal life have seen it. Fun fact, uh, the U.S. Treasury can make bills up because money's not real. <laughs> it's a fallacy. It's whatever we make it to be. Um, hey, 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 focus. This isn't the conspiracy cult. This, this is true. C. This is true. You don't need to leave them in full to know that your money's not real. I could get groceries with $100 or a gun. It doesn't really fucking matter. Okay? I'm still getting fucking groceries. <laughs> to quote my favorite, Mae West, this is why she always said she believed in diamonds because we might be off the gold standard one day. That's another fucking fallacy. Is the gold standard. Why is gold valuable? Because it's fucking shiny. That's why. <laughs> shiny. That's why. That's exactly why. That's why we make gold. That's, until gold had a use, yeah, it was fucking shiny. So get the fuck out of here with that, you know, crybaby bullshit about we need silver and gold to back the money. No, we don't. We don't. Silver literally does nothing. It's just fucking shiny. We don't even put it in anything. Gold we actually use for electronics. This, the recording device we use is capped in gold. <laughs> so that. I'm waiting for the gold microphone. You know, that's what I want. That I want that Rush Limbaugh mic. It's crisp. Get those followers. You know what I'm saying? It'll make recording a lot more fun. Ah, let's sigh. <laughs> but yeah, you, know, you have the wave. Of, you have the wave of nationalism mm-hmm. on all fronts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mexico is coming out of a revolution around this time. Yes. One of seven. Mm-hmm. But it's the big one in Pueblo, Mexico, that we yes. have Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> yes. That's the only reason why. <laughs> it's not a real revolution. It was just the revolution of Pueblo, Mexico, mm-hmm. that we have Taco Tuesday and, and tequila in May. <laughs> mm. But to kind of kick off, there's some tensions building between the nations in Europe. Yes. Uh, you have Austria-Hungary, who is an aristocracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Serbia, who is coming off an aristocracy into their own government. Yes. But they have what's a what's a provisional government. Uh, much <laughs> we like we don't try this out, see what we think. <laughs> yeah, but much like you know Great Britain, you know you have a parliament, but you still have a monarch. <laughs> Granted, that doesn't make sense, but you know that is the system. Yeah. Uh, the United States is the only one of its kind at this time. That has an elected executive branch, an elected judiciary, an elected legislator. Mm-hmm. Parliament is the only elected office. Your prime minister is chosen by a republic in the parliament. So, and they answer to the fucking king mm-hmm. at this time. 
Uh, fun fact, all the kings of Europe look the same. <laughs> we were talking about this earlier. <laughs> they have curly key mustaches and a nice little high and tight cut, but they all look the fucking same. Yep. Do you know why they look the same? Because they're all really... They have purple fucking blood rolling through them goddamn nasty veins of theirs. Yes, they do. Because their slack-jawed mothers are all cousins <laughs> to their fucking husbands. Dear, we need you to marry your first cousin because he's the king of France and we don't like France this week. So we need you to marry him for political reasons so it seems like we're all buddies. You know who was the best, best person to ever marry off their children? Genghis Khan. <laughs> you know why? Because no. he had so many daughters, he would marry them off one by one to other warlords and Chinese warlords. And then, as penance, those warlords would have to fight in his army. And he would send them to the farthest reaches of the empire to die, only for his daughters, the queens of those lands, to inherit the land. That's some fucking moves right there. That is. Perfect. And that's why you have the Golden Horde. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> talk about a name. Yeah, you know, this is hey. like the Golden Horde. I, 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 I would love to do a Kublai Khan and Genghis Khan whole fucking episode. But you have these tensions arising in Europe. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, there is no UN. There is no European Union. Each one is dealing in different currencies. You yeah. Know, you have the British pound, uh, the franc, the uh, Deutschmark. And another thing about this, right before 1900 happens, Germany becomes Germany. Mm-hmm. You know, they they have a whole kind of get together of Prussia, Man- uh, Mecklenburg, Frankfurt, you know, Bavaria. All these little fiefdoms come together and create what is now Germany. Yeah. Uh, and Germany, OG Germany, was a lot bigger. Yes. Uh, to include the Rhineland, the Black Forest of the Ardennes, uh, half of Poland. <laughs> All these names that are going to sound really familiar. And then they what? get took. Yeah, again. But to kick it off, the shot heard around the world. You know, this is a the, long before Babe Ruth shows up. Yeah, before Babe Ruth is kicking ass, and taking names. <laughs> With fucking, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Joe DiMaggio and all them. Yeah. You know, the murderers wrote Mickey Mantle. All them. And uh, Teddy fucking Williams. <laughs> yes! How were we going to get Quentin Tarantino in here? <laughs> hey, if Teddy Williams didn't go to war, Babe Ruth, you've never, you would never hear about him. That's a fact. <laughs> Teddy Williams was the Michael Jordan of goddamn baseball. I'm going to have to yield to your expertise because... I watched enough Ken Burns baseball to know this. <laughs> I, will, I will quote my daddy. What I know about baseball could be stuffed in an amoeba's ass. Yep. Well, first you have a bat, and then you have three. Hey, I've watched <laughs> The Sandlot. I know that much about it. Ugh, what a terrible movie. <gasps> yeah. Hard take, guys. Chris Morrison doesn't like the fucking Sandlot. Yeah, that's, that's enough. It, it's, a true, it's a true story of how Charles Manson was a child. <laughs> I love The Sandlot. Don't make me throw something else at you. But you have the leader of the Austrian-Hungarian Empire. Empire. Umpire. <laughs> Empire. <laughs> I've ruined you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you have Archduke Ferdinand. Franz Ferdinand. Unlike the band, <laughs> his like, he gets killed by a guy named Princip. Abigail, uh, Ab- Abigail Princip. Uh, Gravato Princip. It's G-A-V-R-I-L-O. Gravello. Uh, Gravello Princip. So, this kind of plays out like an action movie. It really does. It's like Mission Impossible. 
so there was a secret organization named the Black Hand. He's doing air quotes. Yeah, uh, there's going to be a lot of air quotes in this one because <laughs> people talk about conspiracy like a motherfucker around this person. Yes, they do. Uh, he was the most, he's basically the most famous assassin in all of Europe. Yeah. Uh, but the Black Hand was actually a Serbian terrorist group. Yeah. Uh, much like your Al-Qaeda's, your Mujahideen, your ISIS or whatever. But uh, they decided to go after Franz Ferdinand because of the occupation of the Austrian-Hungarians in Serbia. Mm-hmm. Okay? And like I said, this does play out like an action film. There are multiple assassins along the route mm-hmm. of Franz Ferdinand. And much like dumb politicians, he rides with the top down. Okay, fuck it. <laughs> Long before Kennedy, this poor bastard decided to ride with the top down in his vehicle with his wife. Only this one's like a horse-drawn carriage. <laughs> yeah. So, the first go-around, someone chucks a fucking grenade at him. It bounces off the hood and literally destroys the car behind them. And they decide to change routes, obviously, because someone threw a fucking hand grenade. Yeah. I am going to say this, guys. If you're going to assassinate a politician, don't use a gun. Use a fucking grenade. Could you imagine how the JFK assassination would have went if someone did pop smoke on a fucking Thunderbird rolling down the goddamn road instead (laughs) of a bullet? The Zapruder film would have been a lot more fucking excited. Mm. So, effectively, as the vehicle changes course, Princip shows up and opens fire on the open cab of the vehicle, killing Franz Ferdinand and also shooting his wife, Mm -hmm. which is a Austrian-Hungarian heiress. Yeah. Okay, this is that Abigail Folger, Sharon Tate kind of situation. It's yeah. just like, hey, there's more famous people in the house. <laughs> like, they're plum tuckered with them. They're plum tuckered with them. Oh, my God. So this kicks off a wildfire. Yes. Across the, the newspapers of Europe. Yes. Franz Ferdinand killed by some terrorist junk bag. <laughs> From Serbia, you know, that trash country we all hate. <laughs> and now, because Serbia had a, unsh- had a shaky alliance with France and Britain, and France and Britain had a very strong alliance, it's like, well, we, we might want to send some people to Serbia. Mm-hmm. Austria-Hungary, however, who lost you know, an heiress from their land, mm-hmm. and a leader, a prince of all things, we're going to burn it to the fucking ground. Yeah. And we're not going to stop. So, do you teach like? Do y'all teach that part about the assassination? Yes. Kicking into it. See, we didn't learn that part until after we got toward the end. Hmm. So we're just like, no, Austria, Hungary, Hungary declared war. Allied nations banded together. You know, the they weren't Axis powers in, but they were. You know, uh, the German powers. You know kind of said all right fuck it let's do this let's get it done now we start it there because that's like you said it's the shot heard around the world it's the the match to the tender it's what starts it all and so war starts in july of 14 yeah 1914 uh it goes all the way to 1918 
But that's just that part. Yeah. The World War really starts in 1911. Three years earlier, on the eastern part of the world in China, Japan, and Russia. Because it's going to come into play into the Western Front. Mm-hmm. All right, so it's from 1914 to 1918. Mm-hmm. All right, these, this, is, you know, this is the textbook part of the war. All hell breaks loose. Yep. And then, because Germany and France do not like each other, this is like Red Sox-Yankees fans. This is, these people automatically fucking hate each other. Germany decides, you know, within like, I think a four or five day period, we're going after Russia too. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> but this is also a cultural thing. This is something I would probably point out to kids if I was a teacher was, what do Germans call Germany? They call it the fatherland. What do Russians call Russia? The The, motherland. Yeah, the motherland. So, like, they have this very, you know, tight-knit, you know, thing to their land. You know, we, you know, as much as the United States is, we just call it, oh, it's mine. Yeah. (laughs) Just mine. (laughs) But that's what that is. It's that savage mentality from, the you know, that tribalism from back in the day. Because Germany had all these little fiefdoms that finally came together. Mm. Russia had one. Yeah. Constant. You know, you had people like Peter the Great, Ivan the Terrible, Eek. Catherine the Great. Yikes, that, that lady. <laughs> lady. Looked, the, the myth about the horse is all I can oh, think no, about. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> but, no. We're not going to, uh-uh, uh-uh, nope, nope, nope. I will leave. No, no, we're not. <laughs> but, you know, Catherine the Great, in all intents and purposes, is probably one of the best female leaders of all time. Mm-hmm. She took some steps. <laughs> yes, she did. But, you know, then you have, then you go into, the, like, the Russian aristocracy. Yeah. You know, the czars of Russia. Uh, the czars of Russia are culpable for a lot of bad things. Oh, yeah. But so are all the other aristoc- aristocracies. Yeah. Um, so, in 19, like, just, like, the, think about this. This is the dog days of summer. <laughs> yes. This is before air conditioning. <laughs> it's hot. Everybody's it's, mad. It's hot. It's mad. And if anybody's ever told you what Poland's like at any point, uh, which I, I'm kind of curious if this has ever been brought up about the weather in Poland during, uh, like, when they talk about the Holocaust, is in the summer, it's the hottest hot place in Europe. Mm. In the winter, it's the deadest cold. Literally, yeah. Poland is called no man's land mm. because you can't do nothing there for eight months out of the year. Yeah. Because it's super fucking hot and it's super fucking cold. Um, but the lines in the sand are drawn immediately. Yes. At the borders of Belgium, France, and Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like talking about Belgium because Belgium is like a pit bull that's chained under the house. <laughs> Belgium is that threat you don't see. Yeah. Uh, fun fact about Belgium is they took over Central Africa. They took it. These are the same people that found out gorillas existed. Hmm. Before that, they were cryptids. Okay, that's exactly what they were. Mm-hmm. Tales of something in the mist. Yeah. And then we're like, oh, wait, they're called gorillas. Okay, cool. Let's just... <laughs> One of the things that Belgium did to maintain control in the Congo, hmm. uh, Nigeria, Ethiopia, and all these little little places was... We need to go back to an old way of doing things. Uh, a 
1700s way of doing things. Um, if you, if me and you had visited the Congo, the currency in the Congo were human hands. The Belgian army would chop off the hands of Africans and the Congolese and whatnot and use it as currency. Yeah, so there is this... The, uh, you have a guy named King Leopold uh-huh. who is a monster among men. I'm guessing so. Uh, this actually comes to a head in World War II later on. Uh, while we don't hear much about Belgium in World War II, because yeah. even the Nazis were like, we're going to go around. <laughs> because after World War I... All those guys in the Congo, all those battle-hardened monsters, mm -hmm. came back. And they thought the war was going to keep going. And so they were really gung-ho about cutting heads off Germans. And the French. Think about... Guys, for example, imagine you have a kitchen table. That's Europe. If I threw a dollar bill on it, that's Belgium. Everything else is Germany, France, and Austria, and all that. These small motherfuckers were going to fight the world. That's a fact. They are monsters. They don't just make waffles and chocolate. These motherfuckers were ballers when it came to warfare. Viciousness is the name of the game for Belgium. Uh, please look up King Leopold. Please look up how they destroyed Central Africa. And the mindset of when this goes down because a lot of their army wasn't home when World war one started hmm. and to talk about communication how fast it is now it took forever to get fucking information back then but you know this is going to be kind of a short end of it but once the lines are drawn it becomes germany versus france britain is involved because they have to land in france through the english channel so now you have a large swath of people just in this one shitty area. Mm -hmm. And let's just go into it real quick. Trench warfare. Uh, you know a little bit about this. I do. Let's talk about that. Because uh, you had a very unique way of teaching this. I did. It worked out well for the kids. No one got hurt. No one got hurt. I was so proud. <laughs> I was scared somebody was, but no one got hurt. So... Trench warfare, due to uh, bombs and uh, gas that was being used. And we'll get to that in, later. Yeah. Uh, trenches were dug. They would be long series of trenches. And they would have water in the bottoms because rain rainfall, but it would also be due to limited facilities for you to escape the trench to go to the bathroom. It would also be bodily fluids of different kinds, and plus people would die in the trench, so it would also be that. And depending on how long the trench had been there, it would either be a little bit on your shoes, or it could be even up to your... Most of the time, the trenches would be just shovel-dug mud on both sides, or it could be sandbags. If there was a hole on one side like maybe for 
high-ranking COs to go over to have like a little office so they could talk. Or a little hole off to the side for people to get out of the trench, to get out of the weather. Most that was rare. But at the top of the trench, you would have sandbags and maybe some kind of razor wire or something like that. But the, the land between the trenches was called no man's land because there was no cover. And it was very easy for you to be seen by the enemies on the other side. So in order to teach this to the kids, I took my classroom and I split it in half. And I took all my desks, turned them on their sides, and I made two trenches. I made the German side and the American side. Came into the door, they had two trenches they could go into. They could either go to the German side or the American side. And up on the board, I put lists of uh, military rank for both sides, German and American, and they had to write letters home. Their families, they had to write letters home with their rank, how long they had been there, what they could see, what they could hear, what they could smell, and what they could touch. Talk about how long they'd been there, when they were planning on coming home, uh, what they'd seen, what they'd experienced, things like that. And Dearest Fraulein Goethe, <laughs> the Americans are vicious monsters and cannibals. <laughs> the French are all dead and eaten by the Americans. Once we defeat these devils, we will come home victorious. Meanwhile, on the other fucking side, dear Marie, <laughs> I'm going to bring home the skull of some kraut son of a bitch <laughs> and drive his spine with my boot like a tent pole into the kingdom I will create. <laughs> God damn it, I miss those cannolis. <laughs> Sincerely, Dave. <laughs> All while Metallica's one is played in the background. Yes. Take my legs, take my head. <laughs> Well, actually, when they came in, I didn't know what to play when they came in. When they Metallica's came, Metallica's one. <laughs> no, when they came in, it was uh, I can't think of the guy's name because it was like some one-hit wonder. But it was that song, "War." What is it good for? Hell yeah! That was what was playing when they came in, because they had to pick their trench. Yeah. But I gave them orders. I was their supply captain. I gave them orders that they had to pick a CO, their biggest high-ranking officer. Most of the time, they got a general. And when everybody got done with their letters, I gave them big baskets of balled-up yellow paper. So when they got done, they had a fight. They had a battle. And they had to throw the paper balls at each other. And I had a student tell me, we can't reach them. What do we do? I said, well, you know, generally, you would either go, you would have to cross no man's land to go over. And you said, well, how do I do that? I said, well, we'd have to go up and over the side of the trench. Or you would have to sneak around the edge and see if you could make it into their trench. In mind, this is a slick linoleum floor with metal desks. And before I could even get the word out, this student pulled his hood up over his face and tied it where he looked like Kenny from South Park and jumped onto these desks. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to jail. He's going to fall. He's going to get hurt. And he jumped over the top and took like his hoodie pocket full of paper balls and went over there and just started pelting everybody with paper balls. But they had an absolute blast and it it really made sense to them. And then I had to later tell them about things like trench foot and yeah. diseases that they carried and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so like, in a, you know, the trenches were 
a modern response to mortars. Yes. Um, hey, we know their mortars can reach this far. We're going to be a few feet back in trenches. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to protect ourselves as much as possible. Uh, we were lucky enough to have a history teacher who brought us in trench art. Oh, wow. Uh, actual trench art. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, fun fact, the trench art was things made, handcrafted art mm-hmm. made by guys in the trenches. Uh, uh, a big one was the artillery shells mm-hmm. uh, were, you know, they would beat them with, you know, the butts of their knives and stuff and make these beautiful, like, uh, vases mm-hmm. almost out of used giant shells. And I'm talking about things that are about probably from a foot to a foot and a half long, probably have a diameter of, like, four to five inches that, you know, fired a shell, yeah. you know, miles down the ray. And it was just sitting a big chunk of missing metal, you know, just mm-hmm. how it was. Uh, you can actually go online and check out some of the footage of these giant, you know, brass casings that are just piles and piles and just sitting there that they'd never use again. You know, just giant scrap metal, just brass shells shot out of our howitzers and shit. And it's it's pretty fantastic, you know, fantastical to see. Um, another kind of thing is going into some of the fucked up weapons. And... So another another thing that got invented was the chlorine. Chlorine was the perfect clean chemical. Yep. Uh, it sterilized water. You know, we use it today for pools. We lose it in water treatment plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, but chlorine also turns into chlorine gas, mm-hmm. and you also have mustard gas, which goes back to the uh, young man who invented uh, manufactured ammonium. Uh, ammonia plus a Clorox-based substance, um, a bleach substance, creates mustard gas. Yep. So this is when everything's being thrown at everybody except the kitchen sink. Mm-hmm. We got to use every weapon known to man. Uh, and mustard gas was the big one. Yeah. So one of the things you kind of had to worry about when going through no man's land uh, I think the most horrific one, uh, you had talked about barbed wire. Uh, you know, barbed wire was used to conquer the West here yeah. in the United States. By the time World War I starts, the Great War, it's called Constantine wire. Yeah. So a difference between barbed wire and Constantine wire is there's barbs on barbed wire. Mm-hmm. These, little, these little nubbins of metal that prick at an animal to keep it from going through the fence. Yeah. Constantine wire is meant to cut mm-hmm. and trap you in, yes. uh, kind of like um, kind of like spines on some roses. Mm-hmm. One of the most graphic things I saw when I was younger was a movie called Legends of the Fall <laughs> with Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt has two brothers. They all three go to the front lines of World War One. One is a captain. The other two, are, uh, Brad Pitt's an infantryman, and their brother is a runner. He had to go make a run, a message run. Uh, you can see this in 1917 very well. Uh, but immediately, his brother gets stuck in barbed wire. And a shell goes off. A mustard gas shell goes off. And he doesn't have a gas mask. So now his eyes are bleeding. He can't see. He's screaming, and he's attached to barbed wire and can't get out. Yeah. All while Brad Pitt's trying to run at this motherfucker to get his brother. 
and a good solid two seconds before he gets there, you see Germans loading a machine gun, mm-hmm. trying to get it unjammed, and then they just open up on him. It's fucking horrific. Yeah. But it kind of works itself out because Brad Pitt, with his Native American friend, scalp Germans, eat their hearts, which is based on a true story of a real Native American soldier who had to fulfill his... Uh, I believe he was a Comanche mm-hmm. who had to uh, complete three trials to become a war, a war chief. I remember hearing about that. Steal a horse. Kill a man's brother when he's beside him without them knowing. And consume the heart of your enemy. So cannibalism. Just light. Mm-hmm. Light cannibalism. He did all three to the Germans. That is fucking hilarious to me. That this Native American who came across the big water and killed another tribe of barbarian savages, because that's what Germans were, because we won, and we can call them that. <laughs> but there's another, you know, another thing is this, you know, air warfare. Yeah. You got the Red Baron up there racking up fucking round after round. Snoopy has forever ruined that for me. <laughs> Pizza ruined it for me. <laughs> But you had, you know, the REF was invented. Yes. The Royal Air Force was invented to fight the German air superiority. Mm-hmm. And they were fucking good at it. And, they were. And another thing about this, these are biplanes, folks. Mm-hmm. These are planes that if a crosswind hit them, they're going fucking down. Yep. These guys were the ballsiest motherfuckers mm-hmm. in all the war. Yeah, for those of you who live in North Carolina, walk around your car and look at your tag. The plane that's on the back of your tag with the two sets of wings, that plane. Yeah, it's a biplane. <laughs> um, you also have the invention of the submarine. Yep. Very very rudimentary. Oh, yeah. Before this, you had uh, the submarine usage in, actually, the Civil War off the yep. coast of North and South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very rudimentary you know, stuff. Uh, it kind of gets mastered a little bit by the time World War I comes along and it's perfected. By the time end of World War Two, yep. Uh, but another little thing, and it's only on the German side that they called a war crime, <laughs> which which this still aggravates you. So America gets involved a little later. Okay, France and Britain are fighting tooth and fucking nail against the Germans in the trenches. America decides, fuck it, let's let's boot and rally. A draft is done. Mm-hmm. Uh, Americans from all over the, the 48 states are cycling up. Let's go out there. Let's do something about it. Yep. Let's, let's put a period to a sentence. Yeah. Woodrow Wilson's president. He's really on the cause of unifying the nation on this one thing. Yeah. Um, and during this time... Americans have been developing weapons the whole time. Mm-hmm. Just, just willy nilly. <laughs> your favorite, your favorite phrase today. Uh, one of those is the Thompson submachine gun. Another one is the Browning automatic rifle. Ooh, the BAR. And another one is the pump action shotgun. Twelve gauge pump shotgun, also known as the trench gun. The French had some bad times developing weapons. They, they've created this weird little machine gun called the Shosho. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it jammed all the time. It got a bunch of French people killed. But if I take a young Nebraska man 
in his prime at you know 17 years old and train him up and tell him that the Germans are the devil and hand him a shotgun. A street sweeper. <laughs> he becomes a war crime. <laughs> a walkie-talking war crime in the trenches of Germany, Belgium, and France. Because that's what they called it. A fucking war crime. But mustard gas wasn't. No, see? See, this is weird <laughs> double standard. And this is where I have my favorite phrase. Fuck them. You know? <laughs> It's that tit-for-tat kind of situation. This is where that comes from. This is where America does the, you slap me in the face, I murdered your family kind of response. Mm -hmm. This is where that happens. This is where that's perfected and then pushed to the limits in, like, Hiroshima. Well, this this is one of the things where... This is where I didn't get much into the historical part of World War One until I got into the weaponry of World War I. The weaponry was what got me first because... Well, it changes the game. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that got me. But I started reading a book. I never did finish it, and I hate that, but it's such a thick, dense book. I never did get through Ken it. Ken Burns, The Great War. <laughs> no. The Guns of August. Yeah. And it's one of the things that drives me crazy. They started out World War I with the same ideals, the same damn weapons, the same same old shit they'd been doing in all the other wars previously. And they're like, this has always worked. We've always done it this way. We're just going to keep on doing it the same old way it's worked all this time. And we're on a different terrain. Things have changed. Times have changed. We're fighting a different set of people from a different time. It's not the same. It's not going to work this time. And people are getting killed by the droves. And something's got to change. That's why when I tell the kids, which I do not understand why so many of my students look at me with shock and they go, you know an awful lot about guns to be a girl. <laughs> like, well, First of all, I was raised around a bunch of fellas. But nonetheless, this is why... It's so important to understand the weaponry of World War One because right here at the end, we're like, you know what? Like you said, we're going to throw everything at him at the kitchen sink because the weapons matter. And when you look back, because right now I'm looking at my notes that I give the kids and you're looking at a slideshow that has submarines, airplanes, chemical warfare, mustard gas, and flamethrowers. <laughs> and like you said, the BAR, the... Uh, Thompson submachine gun. Thompson submachine gun. And you know what's crazy is the United States made a big mistake by not using those two weapons. Yeah. They didn't implement them until World War II because they didn't want them to fall into German hands. Yeah. But a shotgun, hell yeah. Hell fucking. And, you know, you're talking about the original weapons when the war starts. Yeah. Is a Car 98 rifle, which is the German bolt-action rifle. Yeah. The Germans continued to use this rifle in World War II Mm -hmm. because it is a fucking awesome rifle. Yeah. I had the privilege of shooting one once, and it is accurate Mm -hmm. as fuck. Oh, yeah. The United States were using used 308 British rifles by the time... We got there, and then America's like, oh, we got our own. We got our own rifles. We got the Lee Enfield. Just, just use that. It's better. It shoots a 30 alt 6 round. It's used to hunt deer and antelope, but we're going to use it to hunt people. <laughs> now, remind me again, because I'm, I'm having one of those days. 
is that the one that makes the ping when it's done? No, so the M1 Garand makes the ping, and that was used later on in World War II. Ah, okay. Uh, that was a semi-automatic rifle uh, because bolt actions were still the main. Semi-automatic weapons didn't become super popular until we figured out how to cool weapons down. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the Germans, one of the downfalls was when they created the Maxim submachine, or Maxim submachine gun was, it's this large tube around the barrel, and it's filled with water. And it's supposed to keep the barrel from melting. Mm-hmm. Um, we create, you know, we fix this in gun engineering by creating gas cocks, and like the AK-47 has a gas release. Yeah, uh, it keeps it from overheating. Uh, the barrel's more exposed; it's not covered in wood like the Lee Enfield rifle of the soldiers holding there. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the M16 has a, you know, a cool chamber around it, around the barrel. Yeah. Uh, so when we start creating uh, uh, semi-automatic weapons, two fully automatic weapons, that issue is already solved. Yeah. Another thing is the Maxim machine gun is constantly shooting. Mm-hmm. It's belt-fed. Yeah. The top of submachine gun has a 30-round mag mm-hmm. or a 100-round drum. It's not going to melt after 100 rounds unless it's do-do-do, 100 rounds, reload, 100 rounds, do-do-do. By the time you use that third one, it's getting really fucking hot and you, should need, you need to stop firing. Yeah. Uh, the BAR, however, is shooting a hunting round, a large fucking round, yeah. as a machine gun. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's that's another thing, you know. At what point is excess, you know? Uh, a great example of this is post-World War II when you have Bonnie and Clyde and, you know, yeah. Babyface Nelson. These guys are using those weapons because yeah. they're all fucking surplus. Yep. Bonnie Parker has her, a BAR. Yep, that was her gun off. of choice was a bar was a BAR. And you know, if you hear the gunshot, like a, a, you know, if you, if we could, like when we do gangsters eventually, mm-hmm. I would like to edit out like, hey, this is a thirty-eight. This is what a cop carried. Mm-hmm. This is what Bonnie had. Boom! <laughs> <Yep>. you know, <laughs> like, you know, her like, little bitty self shot a BAR. But that was kind of the scary <laughs> thing about the shotgun. Mm-hmm. You only need one guy to get over. Yeah. And if that young man gets over. He's going from left to right with a shotgun. Oh, by the way, uh, they uh, the army never taught them this, but guys, uh, street uh, basically uh, trench sweepers in World War One developed a technique called bounce firing or uh, pump firing. Uh, it was it was a flaw. It was a bug that became a uh, what's it called a perk. <laughs> <laughs> if you held the trigger down on a shotgun. And he engages the fire pin to stick out just a little bit, mm-hmm. as a close, as opposed to pulling the, uh, uh, squeezing the trigger and the fire pin going forward. Yeah. But if you hold it down, it stays just a little bit out of its housing. So, I could take an old shotgun like that, hold the trigger down, and pump fire it. So instead of going boom, it's boom, 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 and it's basically creating a fully automatic pump shotgun so it's like firing a revolver like already pulling the trigger on it's, a revolver and just yeah, hitting basically the hitting hammer. the hammer constantly <laughs> they developed that technique these are 19 year old kids corn farmers and fucking you know yeah guys who are kicking the shit out of people <laughs> and the germans are like what the fuck is that because it is a 12 gauge shotgun and oh, yeah. they are loading pumping round after round and god forbid if you caught a uh it was, uh, I forget what it was. It, uh, it was, I think it was probably the pre, or it was like uh, the big red one. Yep. What was left of the big red one uh, before World War II stars, you know, but like these guys, some of them had sh- these little street sweepers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they used slugs. 
Oh my god. So the twelve gauge had, you know, double up buck, you know, just blowing chests out of people. Yeah. These guys were shooting fucking musket balls basically oh, Jesus. out of their goddamn shotguns and fucking like tearing limbs off people. Yeah. Like just literally tearing limbs off people. Yeah. Uh a, a great version of this, which you probably couldn't teach in school, is <laughs> Uh, the treasures of uh, trench warfare, which were the uh, neck bones, uh, teeth. Uh, this this carries on to World War II. But uh, one is the German Kaiser helmet. I the one with the little uh, spear spider. thing on the top? Yep. I got to bring it home. I got to. It's mine. It's fucking mine. <laughs> and this is before the United States Army got a little ornery about soldiers taking shit home. Yeah. Like in the Gulf War mm-hmm. or... The, the Iraqi freedom. Yeah, Papal said during World War II they searched him every day. Yeah. Do you when know he why came they back? Do you know why they searched him? It's because the Marines of the Pacific, they were ripping gold teeth out of skulls. Oh my God! They were holding people down and taking shit off the Japanese because it was theirs. Oh, see, that's another thing people forget. As like, hmm. as horrific as people are in the military when the shit hits the fan and you can either excuse it and let it go which we do <laughs> but that's also what they were doing you know we talk a lot about the japanese and the germans doing horrific shit to pow's or people on the battlefield america you know, i love fucking america america's the best country on earth that's a fact but we do a lot of nasty shit too uh, a great story is uh, a field colonel having to rip a man off a Japanese dude who's screaming for his fucking life as he's ripping the gold teeth out of his mouth and then shoots him in the head to relieve him of pain. Mm. And then it was found out later he had his hands in a bag. Oh, my God. But different strokes. <laughs> Yikes. But, you know, so you also have that, too, with, you know, people on the east uh, western east uh, western front in world war ii but trench warfare a lot fucking nastier yeah what i hate hearing a lot is when we talk about true crime mm-hmm. how could you listen to a documentary about ted bundy and <laughs> all the horrific things uh do you want to know what people <laughs> did back then when the true crime in wartime mm-hmm. you know how many weird things got brought back to the united states after the war well see now see now i don't feel as bad because papa was just gonna bring like patches <laughs> yeah keep the patches man that's cool as fuck grab a fucking hitler youth knife out of the dying hands of a kid you know well, he had like <laughs> name patches he yeah. was gonna bring back that's fine but when he's like knee deep in the shit like if he was there three years earlier mm-hmm. you know knee deep in the fucking Ardans forest and finds this poor fucker named Hans and grabbing his gun from him and shoot him in the head with his own fucking rifle and be like I got it it's mine <laughs> yeah that would have been a whole different kind of thing and another thing was like when you appropriate like it is literally a cultural appropriation thing the Japanese believe that if you kill someone you own their soul in heaven mm-hmm they thought if they were killed by the Americans, they were to be forced to serve them in heaven. It's called an Oni. Hmm. Can you imagine how fucking scary that would be? Because you already think these are six-foot-tall cannibals coming over that hill to rip your teeth out and your soul. Because the propaganda told them that. Yeah. 
and you can only imagine the propaganda in World War One when they're talking about America. Americans are these corn-fed bastards who are nothing dumber than fuck who are going to beat us to death. That's what they were told. That's what Germans were told. That's young. You know, it's like, we need to kill them all. That's a fact. Yeah. And that's where we get these little racial terms like Kraut, Kaisers, and, you know, just these little hand-me-down terms. Yeah. You know, with the French, you know, the French did nasty shit too, you know. The French, they wanted to know, they, uh, post-World, War, post-World War I, they wanted to know what else mustard gas could do. So they tested it on animals. They tested it on other people. They tested it in forests. They tested it on trees. You know, it, it, These are the fucked up things we do to win wars. And we'll go into it like, like this is going to be a part, there's going to be a part two to this. Mm-hmm. Well, while we're already talking about trench warfare, you know we got to bring up uh, a little foreshadowing. During the Battle of Ypres... Another runner who is uh, fighting for the father of for the fatherland in Germany. His, More Austria Hungary, but yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. His uh, infantry gets attacked by mustard gas, and he barely gets his mask on in time, but he still gets hurt and he passes out. Oh. He, he wakes up in a hospital where he's being treated for his wounds, and he gets told by a religious leader. I'm not sure entirely which one. But he gets told, because uh, he's asking, when am I going to get to go back out there and help defend my infantry and serve my country? The religious leader says, oh, you're not going back out there, son. Germany's surrendered and the war's over. To which he has a complete and utter stress-induced meltdown and goes completely blind out of shock, according, to the, according to the legend. And to which, while he is having this absolute hemorrhage, he has a vision of when, of what Germany will be like when it's completely restored, and he rules it. This guy's name is Adolf Hitler. You ever see the photo of his infantry? Yeah. And there's a little X above his head mm-hmm. because he's the one who got he took he took an uh, mustard gas attack to the face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a wild photo. I saw that in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. That's when I saw that. Um, and we we heard. Uh, a uh that's what we first learned about world war one yeah was from the uh, irish teacher we had and she talked about it in vivid detail uh in the next part like a part two of this we'll probably talk about north africa and, and you know what's going on in arabia uh in the ottoman empire because we get kind of like war heroes like th lawrence you know yeah. some really badass motherfuckers who were doing some nasty shit uh, World War One's also a big deal in Ireland because a lot of Irish people go in oh, to help. Yep. Uh, a good show, uh, Peaky Blinders, talks mm-hmm. about veterans of that and yep. them trying to be like, oh, we fought for you motherfuckers. Yeah. And so we're not going to take your goddamn shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a, f- a wild story. Yeah. Um, and we'll get into like, uh, going into the next episode, we'll probably get into the revolutions that were going on concurrent with World War One. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, please look up. You know, there's 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 a lot of information out there that you know we could never cover in a full episode, um, but we're going to try <laughs> in multiple episodes. Uh, this is why this is a part one. Mm-hmm. Um, but thanks for thanks for listening, guys. Uh, we're just going to end it here. Kind of save it for another one on the next go around. We'll talk about shotguns more. <laughs> hey, I'm always all I'm all about some weaponry. I love to talk about it.
Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, kind of uh, the end of Britain's involvement and America's involvement going in uh, to kind of give them a respite on the fighting. Um, but yeah, guys, check out the Discord. It's in the description. Uh, check out all the shows for Something Good Network. There's always something new coming out. Uh, we got guys. We work really hard to try to get this out to you as soon as we can. Um, but let us know in the Discord. Reach out to us. Christy's a little bit more involved in it than I am. Chat with me. I love to talk to y'all. All right, guys. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening, Christy. Thanks for being a great co-host again. Thank you. And we'll see y'all the next go around. You've been listening to the Something Good Network. If you liked what you heard, you can follow us on Instagram. And check out the other great shows on the network. Link is in the episode description.